You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ben Stewart. Well, I lived in a church in the inner city of Denver one summer when I was in college. And I was working there with a ministry that did camps for kids that lived in the city. And as a ministry, it had to solicit funds, donations to kind of pay for our activities. So, so they sent out a support letter uh, midway through that summer. And I remember the support letter had really big on the front, a massive picture of me. And I have to say the designer made a strong choice because picture it, if you will, I, I had long flowing hair at the time. And I was crouched down and surrounding me were a bunch of little children and they all had a hand on me. Like they just wanted to be close. And I was looking directly into the eye of a young man, maybe six, seven years old. And you saw in the picture, the intensity of the moment that it was intimate. We're all close and comfortable with that, but there's an intensity to it too. Something of value is being communicated and absorbed. And as you look at that picture, I know people were thinking, man, I wish I was there. What is happening? What is being communicated in this powerful moment? And I knew what I was doing in that moment was communicating the rules of freeze tag. (laughs) Because as the youngest member on the mission team, that's all they trusted me with. (laughs) But I remember I was looking in this young man's face and I was trying to communicate this to him. He didn't know the game. And I was telling him, when it gets you, you're frozen. You can't move. And then I looked at the kids and saying, here's what's about to happen. It is going to have a wave of frozenness coming along. And those people, as they're frozen, will become obstacles. They'll be part of the problem. But some of you will be free. And in that moment, you're going to make choices on how to use your freedom. Some of you are going to run as far as you can to some place, absolute self-preservation, and try to eke out a little bit of happiness before that cold demise gets you. (laughs) But others of you are going to choose to use your freedom to set others free. And you're going to dive between the legs of frozen kids because that's how you unfroze people in our game. (laughs) And when you do that, they unfreeze and you can be a part of a wave of setting people free. It's your choice. Actually, as I think about it, that is pretty motivational, isn't it? It's kind of awesome because that's the world today. World's a dark place. Everybody knows that. Everybody feels that. Something wrong with the world today. And you got responses of how we're going to handle it. As the world is unjust and cruel to us, we can make the decision and I'll be part of the problem. That's what Jean Valjean did in Les Mis. The world hated me and so it said he sentenced the world to his hatred. I will hate you right back. That's what those young men did at Columbine. In the last letter they wrote before they opened fire at that school, they said the world's been cruel to us and so we will join in the cruelty. Others of us, when we see that the world is an unjust place and a dangerous, scary place, what do we do? In an act of pure self-preservation, we run to the safest corner possible and gather around us trinkets and baubles to make ourselves comfortable and just wait it out until our inevitable cold demise. Or others of us say, I want a different life. I am going to join the ever-growing wave of those who've been set free, and I will use my liberty to set others free. That's the choice before us. 
So we've been in this series about the missing peace, that Jesus came to bring peace. And now last week was about internal peace we can experience. This week is about external peace. How do I be part of the solution? That into the darkness, God sent a solution. God did not send when the world broke. When we broke faith with God, our first parents relationship with God broke. Intimacy among humanity broke. And even our relationship with the very ground broke. Shalom, the peace, all that it should be was severed. But God in that moment did not send a list of rules to fix us. He sent a ruler. He did not send a set of laws. He sent a savior. He didn't send us principles. He sent the prince of peace. I am coming to bring peace back to you. And yet I know people hear that and they go, Jesus came to bring peace. And that's what we celebrate this time of year. Peace on earth, peace to you, peace to all men. And yet I know some of us, if we're honest, look at that and go, okay, Jesus came to bring peace, but just really how good a job did he do? Because this world's crazy. Look at the wars that have constantly been fought. Look at the people that are being abused. Look at the children that are being exploited. There's no peace in this world. And yet, if you look at the Bible, you see God, when he saw the anti-peace, did something decisive about it. Jesus stepped into it, lived the perfect life we could not, and then took the consequences of our anti-peace onto himself. Why? So he could bring us into a new kind of life. You see it in 2 Corinthians. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, as ambassadors for Christ, God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you see what happened? Jesus did do something decisive. He reconciled us to God. He made peace between us and God again. Rewove shalom between us and God again. Made things right, conciliatory again between us and God. And then he changed something about us. He said, I am bringing peace to you. And I also want to bring peace through you. I am going to reconcile you to God. And then I'm going to give you the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to make you an ambassador and then we implore others, be reconciled to God. Do you see that? He changes the noun before he changes the verb. He changes our identity before he changes the activity. I am making you a new creation and I am making you an ambassador. Jesus brings peace to people who put their faith in him. And then he calls us to be a part of that great work of using our liberty to liberate others. We're meant to join the game. He unfroze our dead hearts and we're meant to leverage our freedom to unfreeze other hearts. So if you go, what is God doing in the world? Jesus' intent was to not only bring peace to you, but Jesus intends to bring peace through you. That's the message today. Jesus intends to not just bring peace to you, although he's done that, he intends to bring peace through you. You are part of the solution to the world today. So when the world was broke, Jesus stepped in and did something decisive about it. And so as we step into the world, we don't step in and go, man, this world is so dark. This city is so cold. Everybody's mean. Like we're victims. 
No, we say Jesus stepped in and did something decisive. So when I step into my neighborhood, I do something decisive. My neighborhood should be different because I exist. My office should look different because I exist. This is what Jesus taught us. Do you remember when he started his ministry? He came around and started telling people, repent, a new kingdom is here, a whole new operation, a new kingdom is advancing. And people maybe believed him. And then he started taking diseases away, casting out demons, raising the dead. And they're like, okay. And they started taking him way more seriously. And so he developed critical mass. And when a big group of people started following him and it got to a crescendo, he sat them all down on the lawn and he gave his kingdom manifesto. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, he said to them, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Now you hear that and you've got to understand he's not telling you how to become a son of God. It's not you go bring peace to the world and then maybe I'll make you a son of God. The Bible's clear how you become a son of God. John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, Jesus, and believed in his name, he gave the right to become sons of God. Galatians 3, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. When I put my faith in the Prince of Peace, I have peace with God. What he's saying is, when you put your faith in the only begotten son, you become an adopted son or daughter. The son of God is the Prince of Peace. He made peace with us. And he makes us into peacemakers. He doesn't just want to do something to you. He wants to do something through you. So what it's saying here is not be a peacemaker in order to be a son of God. It's saying when Jesus makes you a son of God, you become a peacemaker. You become a force for good in the world. He changes you. What it's saying here is that you look like your daddy. My children don't act like me in order to become my kids. My children act like me because they are my kids. So I remember my firstborn, little kid, when she was maybe two years old, coming downstairs. And I remember I looked at her and she looked at me and she just popped out her little sucker and went, what's up, what's up? I was like, where did that come from? And my wife is like, are you serious? She's like, that came from you. That's what you always say to her, right? I was coloring with Sparrow, my second board child, the other day. And as I was coloring my superhero, I remember she looked at me and she said, Dad, that looks fantastic. You are doing a great job. And I was like, well, thank you. And I realized I say that. That's why she says that. She didn't say that in hopes that I will say, and now you are my daughter, right? She acts like me because she's from me, right? My children don't act like I do to become my kids. My children act like me because they are my kids. Do you see it? Blessed are the peacemakers because they'll be called sons of God. People will look at you and say, that's a true child of the king. Why? Because they look like him. That person has to know Jesus in a way I don't. Why? Because they act like him. Jesus is in the business of setting people free and we are not supposed to be part of the problem nor seeking self-preservation. We are meant to leverage our lives to set others free in Jesus' name. That's who we are meant to be. Do you see it? God is a peacemaker. Yeah, I think that's something to clap about too. God's a peacemaker. And so I'm a peacemaker too. So then the question becomes, how do we do it? If that's a role he gave us, he entrusted us to be reconcilers in the world. We're meant to make a difference in D.C. and Atlanta. How do we do it? What does it mean? Well, he tells you later in the same sermon. You've heard it say, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. 
Pray for those who persecute so that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He links the two. Peacemakers look like their father. Their father makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, sends his rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even Gentiles do that. What he's saying is you are called to be a peacemaker this morning. And you go, well, then how do I do that, Ben? If I'm to be a force of good in the world, how do I become a peacemaker? Peacemakers extend love across expected boundaries. That's what peacemakers do. How are we going to be peacemakers in the world? Peacemakers extend love beyond expected boundaries. Did you see it in the text? He says, you've been told, love your friends, hate your enemies, which truly is kind of how we operate in the world. We typically have a spectrum of relationships. You have family and friends, and love is extended through you to those two circles, allegedly, right? And then you have acquaintances, and then you have enemies. And what do we typically do? I love my friends, and I love my family. I tolerate acquaintances. Maybe it becomes more if they're cute or socially advantageous. But I tolerate their existence, right? But my enemies, and some of you go, Ben, I don't know that I have enemies. And you go, no, but maybe if you think about it, you have those people that you can't stand, don't like being around, and you secretly hope they fail in life. And whenever they do have a setback, you inwardly rejoice. I've heard some of us feel that way about others. (laughs) What do you do for those people? Wish doom on them can't stand them, they need to go away, or we actively talk bad about them, or if you're really proactive, you actively physically punch them or things like that, right? (laughs) Hate to the enemies. Love, tolerance, hate. The whole world goes, that makes a ton of sense. But what God does is God says, I shoot love through the whole system. Love goes from family to friends to acquaintance to enemy. I love even my enemies. You see that? Peacemakers extend love beyond expected boundaries. Why? Because that's what God did for us. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. God loved us when we were not loving him back. And so we are meant to do the same. We shoot love through the system. Why do we do that? Because we understand if we know God that love precedes life change. That's what the Bible teaches us, that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. How do we change in life? It's the love of God that shoots out first. God taught us that. Frozen taught us that. How do you turn Elsa from someone who's destructive? There were two ideas, right? Murder her, right? Or (laughs) sacrifice my life for her. Those were the two propositions put forward, right? And when I sacrificed my life for her while she was killing me, what did it do? It unthawed that frozen heart and you became a force for good rather than destruction. Love preceded life change. That's what Beauty and the Beast taught us. I don't know about the Disney one. I've never watched it. But you just think about the original Beauty and the Beast story. What was the moral of the story? How does a monster become a man? You must be loved before you become lovable. Someone has to care about you in order for you to be someone who cares back, right? We believe that in society. That's why many of us are trying to love kids who are in dangerous places because we want their hearts to stay soft, not become hardened, right? 
that love precedes life change. So we love all the way down even to enemies. Now, am I advocating some of you that really do have enemies, someone who abused you or hurt you? Am I saying you start calling them up, let them back in your orbit? No, Paul will tell the Romans, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Some of you, it is not safe for you to be around certain people emotionally or physically. And I'm not advocating that. There is a healthy distance for you, but there's a distance they must come to, right? And so I'm not advocating putting yourself in a dangerous position. And yet I don't want to cheapen the call. The people who know the love of God, we shoot love across every boundary. Friends, family, we love acquaintances and we love enemies. Even the people who hurt us, when they wound us, we send love right back. Our standard of behavior is not the world. Our standard of behavior is our savior. That's who we are, right? Now, some of us hear that and you go, Ben, again, lovely sentiment, impractical. I mean, what are you trying to say? Love your enemy? Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, there's somebody that tried to get me fired. There's somebody I know talks bad about me. There's somebody who agrees with a set of policies that I think will be destructive for our country. I must silence them. Doom must come to them. You're telling me just love them like, oh, it's Christmas. And so love everybody. And you're like, yeah, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that information. Well, here's what's great. Jesus gives us two verbs two things I want you to do. And I would guess they would surprise you. How do you be a peacemaker? Peace extends love across expected boundaries. How do you do it? He gives us two ways. The first one is by prayer, is by prayer. He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Peacemakers pray for their persecutors. And not just like, Lord, I just pray you would smite her. God, I pray that you would Cut her down at the knees. <laughs> Remove from her all of her social media advantages. God, rob her of her beauty and strength. It's not praying doom on your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And you say, well, how do I do that? Well, he gives you a prayer in the same passage. It's where we get the Lord's prayer, right? And you can pray that for people. Lord, I pray they would hallow your name. Lord, I pray your kingdom would come in their life. I pray your will would be done for them. God, I pray you would provide for them and their family what they need to flourish. God, I pray you would put forgiveness in their hearts so they could forgive others. I pray I'd forgive them. God, I pray you would deliver them from dangerous temptations. I pray you'd protect them from evil. And I pray your kingdom and your power and your glory would flourish in their life. I'm praying that an enemy become a friend. That's what you're meant to do. That's how we do it, right? And some of you hear that and you go, well, man, I, I don't know. Like, that's, that's a cute sentiment. But, but Ben, how do I do this? I, I don't know that you can generate love for a person. I don't know that you can. And so some people try to diminish the word love here. Well, love's not a feeling. It's just a verb. You go, no, love is a feeling that prompts verbs. You're meant to really have an affection for these people. But some of you go, I don't know how to have affection for them. And again, I want to bring this up gently. Some of us are on different sides of policy decisions, political sides, not just here in D.C., but in Atlanta. And I just want us here to try to imagine that sometimes people on different sides of the aisle have trouble getting along. I know that's hard to imagine. (laughs) Just by faith, consider it, right? And you go, what do you do? Do you suddenly go, well, I'm just going to keep staring at their picture until my heart engenders love for them. Like, man, what a sweet guy. No, what you do is you start praying for them. 
Ask God to bless their life. And here's what's crazy. They might not just be the only one that changes. You might change too. God may do this to just bring a little more peace into the world in your orbit as well as theirs. So I remember for me, man, the the first time I ever got asked to preach, like when, when I started in ministry, I came out of college and was a youth pastor with like five kids. And no one's like calling the youth pastor with five kids to like come speak at our conference. Just FYI, those calls don't come. So I'm just like rolling, building my little ministry. But then all of a sudden I get calls to speak at places in Houston. And I remember I get called to speak at this place and they like me and they said, will you come back monthly? And I'm like, sure. And then they gave my name to this other guy and he's like, will you come speak weekly? And I said, sure. And so all of a sudden, before I knew it, I'm like traveling speaking places. And then the weirdest thing happened. What I didn't realize was what I was doing there is I was replacing a pastor that had moved to a different city named Matt Chandler. And so what happened was I would preach places and people would come up to me after every sermon. And I don't know if you know how sermons work. You don't just like study hard to understand the text. You also put your heart and soul and blood into it. And so it's a very personal thing. The word of God threw me to you. It's a vulnerable place to be. And yet you stand on stage and do it to people for the glory of God and hope your sense of dignity stays intact. And so I'm doing that every week. And inevitably, someone would come up to me and be like, hey man, that's great, yeah. You're just starting out? That's awesome. Yeah, this message was good. Have you heard Matt Chandler? (laughs) That guy is incredible. I mean, every time he speaks, it's like conviction and yet grace and life changes. And uh, I mean, that guy, I love him. I wish I knew him. I would sweep the floors at his house. And I got to tell you, it was happening every single week of my life. And I was becoming like Salieri in that Beethoven, just like, just, just resentment started to build. And I remember feeling that of just like, I don't really know this guy, but I need him to stop. (laughs) Whatever's happening. I need him to go away. I need him to disappear. I need him. I need him off the board because he's ruining my quality of life. And so I wasn't praying actively against him, but I was kind of rooting for it internally. You know, like if something went wrong, I know you're not supposed to say stuff like this, but you felt it too. Be honest. There's been someone at your office that you like being the funny guy and they're just a little too funny. And you're like, he needs to go away. I think he's stealing. I think he's stealing money. Or you want to rise in the company and there's some rival that's just a little too similar to you and you're just hoping something bad happens, right? You'd never say it out loud, but you're like, God, you know, if they just kind of have a a moral breakdown, that'd be okay. And you just, (laughs) and so I realized I don't like this. I don't like what it's making me, but I don't know what to do. Hang a little picture of Matt on my bathroom mirror and just be like, look at him. (laughs) No. So I just started praying for him. And I started praying. And as soon as I started praying, I just got a picture of him in the study because I knew what it's like to study. And I just started praying that God would bless his time and his word. I started asking God to open up his scripture that he'd understand it. And then that naturally bled into his relationships with his wife and kids. And I just, I could picture it, the blessings I was asking for, for his family. I hope his family wins. I hope his marriage strengthens. I hope his kids are blessed. I just hope amazing things happens in his family. And then I started praying for his ministry because I thought there's room, man. There was, if there was room for Elvis and Johnny Cash, there's room for Matt and Ben in Texas. Like, you know, it's not like oh, there can be only one. You know, no, there's, God raises up a lot of us. And so it's not a competition. And so God began to root out of me that really selfish, insecure, competitive feeling because the kingdom needs needs a lot of people to advance it forward, right? And so I started praying that. And you know what happened? All that resentment bled out. 
And I started to like the guy. And I still didn't really know him. But when I moved to Dallas to go to seminary, he was there. And I went to his church and there was nothing but love in my heart for him. And I got to become friends with him and got to be a part of watching that church grow. Got to preach there some. And even a few weeks ago, I saw him. He came up, gave me a big hug and said some very specific encouragement to me that meant a lot to me. And what I realized is I love that man and I believe he loves me and the world's a better place and God's made me a prayer warrior for him and there's just a little more peace in the world. Why? Because of prayer. I wanna challenge some of you. It may seem too small. Hey, just pray for your enemies, but I wanna dare you to do it. I dare you. Think about that enemy, that person you hate on the other side of the political spectrum, on the other side of the office, on the other side of everything that you believe. What if you prayed that God would bless that person? God would help that person flourish. The best possible outcome is that an enemy would become a friend. That's what you're praying for. Don't pray for their death. Pray for their conversion. Pray for God to make them something new. Pray for him to change them. That's what you want to be a part of. God does that. He will do that. Thank goodness Jesus was like that. As he hung on the cross, that's what he did for us. He practiced what he preached. As he hung up there and people spit at him and cursed him. We tend to think in our culture, I love my friends, I hate my enemies, right? That's what we do. But what does Jesus say here? That's not impressive. That's not a powerful thing. If you, and it's popular in the culture today. Well, I just love, I'm on the side of love. But typically in the culture today, we say it with a shout. Well, I'm on the side of love. We love people. As opposed to the other side that hates and so should thus be destroyed, right? The odd thing about that is like, what are you basically saying? I love the people who agree with me. I love who I like. And you go, that, that is not a stellar commendation of your philosophy because everybody does that, right? That doesn't make you an extraordinary person. That just makes you a person. Right? Even Hitler had buddies, right? We, we love the people we like. You can tell the power of God is at work in you. Why? When that love extends to even your enemies. And so Jesus, while they were murdering him, didn't stand on that cross and go, you spitting on me? Get over here. Oh, come on. How weird would that be if that was our leader? I'm going to come down and off here. You hurt me. I'm justified to hurt you back. Is that what he does? No, what did he do? He prayed, Father, forgive them. Because he knew our enemy is not that person. The enemy is spiritual who's done something to that person. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against powers and, and principalities. It's a spiritual fight. I'm not fighting against that person I disagree with. I'm fighting for them. I want them to win. I want the world to win. I want shalom. I want peace in the world. So I start praying for them. Father, forgive them. When Jesus prayed that, one of the Roman soldiers converted at the foot of the cross because he said, I've never seen anything like that. That is truly a son of God. And I promise you, you start praying for your enemy, you'll have a soft heart for them and they will see the power of God in you. Would you be willing to try it this week? When that bile comes up, just pray for him. God, forgive him. God, do a powerful work to thaw their frozen heart and to break up the hardness of it. Make an instrument of hate an instrument of love. Make that person something more than they are. Let your kingdom come, your will be done in their life. Peacemakers bring peace by extending love across the expected boundaries. How do you do it? You pray for your enemy. 
You pray for your enemy. Try it. The other thing you do is greet them. And that one got me by surprise. I don't know how you feel about that, but I expected Jesus to say like, be a peacemaker. How? By giving all your money to the poor. Every spare minute in soup kitchens being like, and bless you too. Yeah, just like every modicum of your life given to others. But what Jesus says is, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even Gentiles do the same. He says, do you know what I want you to do? In the name of Jesus, to spread peace across the land, greet people. And I think some of us are like, really? That's it? Say hi. You know? And you go, that's really the takeaway? It seems small. But what is greeting somebody? I'll tell you what it is. When you look them in the eye, you're acknowledging they exist. And by doing so, extending a little bit of dignity to them. You ever had someone not do that? I mean, I remember uh, there were times at seminary studying the Bible. I came from a college campus where you say hi to everybody. And I would walk down the streets and I'd be like, hey man. And I would watch guys carrying Bibles go. And I'm like, dude, you're about to minister in the name of Jesus and you can't say hi. (laughs) Praying for you. Lord, Lord, help him. Lord, convict him. Right? I mean, just. But what would happen? I would instantly get frustrated. I remember I talked to a friend that she came from a very well-off family and yet she decided to do a ministry thing where, where she got a job uh, in the drive through at a McDonald's. And she said, Ben, no one looks you in the eye. You are a tool for their pleasure. That's it. People are rude. They snatch what they want. They don't look at you. You say hi. They don't say hi back. She said, I, I just, she said, after like an hour of it, I just want to be like, I'm a person. I'm a person. Right? Because she was like, I just felt so belittled degraded by people who aren't kind. So when I greet somebody, I'm acknowledging you exist. I'm giving you dignity. And I'm not just acknowledging it. I'm acknowledging it in a friendly way. I'm extending respect and kindness to people when I greet them. That can be a tough thing to do. Easy to do with friends. Easy to do with family. Oh, but what if we started doing it to acquaintances? What if we even extended with kindness and respect towards enemies? If we led with kindness and respect, you think the world might be a different place? I think it could be powerful if we start doing that. I was in Atlanta last week and I remember I was sitting in a coffee shop. I was early for a meeting and there was a young man at the table in front of me and it took me a minute to realize that I was doing other things but when I looked up, I noticed he's not drinking anything, he didn't order anything and he's asleep, he's sleeping but he's got a bunch of bags around him and I realized, oh, I think he's like sleeping here. And as I was just dawning on me what was happening, this older man walked into the room. And this older man walked right up to the sleeping young man and just smacked him on the back and woke him up, which seems rude. But then the craziest thing happened. He said the young man's name. And I don't remember what his name is. I think it was like Jason or something like that. But I remember he smacked this young man's on the back and he whispered down in his ear. And I could hear because I was just the table next to him. He goes, Jason, did you sleep outside last night? Did you sleep at the metro station? You know you have a warm place to stay, don't you? You always do, man. You just say the word, I'm here for you. And then he got up and walked away. And I was like, what just happened? Didn't try to just throw a dollar at him to enable some unhealthy lifestyle, but didn't just walk past him and put a hand on his keys and wallet. Looked him in the eye, greeted him by name, and offered him kindness. And I thought, that is powerful because when that young man is ready for help, he knows exactly who to go to. That greeting 
has opened the door for redemption for that young man. That's powerful. That is powerful. What if we lived like that? What if we moved towards people like that? I remember when I started in youth ministry, I had this young kid come to me, sweetest kid. And I remember he was kind of a new believer and he came to me so excited, high school kid. He ran up to me and he was like, Ben, I gotta tell you the story. And I was like, what man? He was like, dude, I was in the lunchroom and I was looking and I saw a sister across the room because that's what he called believers in Jesus who were girls because that's what the Bible does. She was a sister. He's like, I saw a sister across the room. He said, I looked over there and there was this guy hitting on her and she was kind of up against the wall and he was making her feel real uncomfortable. Like he had his hand up and was like, like really in her grill. And he said, and I watched that going on. He said, and so I just walked over there and I looked at her and I was like, hey, aren't we in class together? Let's walk, let's go. And he said, and I just walked around that moment. And he told me all that and I was like, man, that's just so great. You're a hero. That's amazing. You're so cool. And uh, I was like, that's awesome, dude. So are you going to start walking her to class every day after lunch? And I remember when I said that to him, he went, what? No. He said, no, I'm going to walk with him. He said, she already knows Jesus. He doesn't. So, so I'm going to walk him to class every day until he does. I remember when he said that to me. It's like 16-year-old kid. I was like, yes. <laughs> and I'm glad to hear you say that because... As your pastor, I was about to commend that activity. I'm glad to know that you've learned, you've learned so much already. I release you, young Padawan, right? I mean, but what kind of difference could that make? I don't know. I'll tell you, I think you'd be glad if you did it. I remember the first time I punched a guy in the face. Hard, I mean, put him on the ground. I got hip into it. Um, he was my best friend. And we didn't talk after that. Uh, he had started making fun of me and knew the places I was insecure and would, and, and would do it publicly. And I didn't know how to respond other than a left hook and I put him on the ground. And we didn't talk for several years. And I remember one time it just hit me like, I don't like that. I don't like how cold it's gotten. I don't know if I can solve everything I can. I can't do both sides, but I just called him on the phone and said, hey man, do you wanna hang out? And I remember on the phone how like halting his voice was. Cause he was like, uh, um, well I can't, but, um, but thanks man, thank you. I was like, yeah, that's cool. Uh, I saw him a couple months later in class. And I remember the way this class worked, there was a lot of free time, so we were sitting on the floor visiting. And he started asking me about Jesus. And we talked about Jesus why I think he's the hope of the world. He initiated that. I don't think it would have happened otherwise. He died a few years later. Last conversation we ever had. And when I think about the loss of what was my best friend, one of the things that comforts me is to know that I greeted him. And that greeting opened the door for hope. And I don't know where he is, but I feel good about what I put into his world. Now, as far as it depends on me, I wanted peace to come to all men. Are you willing to do the same? To acknowledge some people? To see them? You don't know how their lives may change. Ananias, as Saul of Tarsus was murdering people, God came to Ananias and said, Saul's coming to your town. Go greet him. And do you remember Ananias' response? No, no, no. Uh, God, I don't think you understand. <laughs> That's Saul of Tarsus. He's murdering folks out here. I am not greeting that man. God, I think you're misinformed as who you're dealing with. 
And God says, no, you greet him. You go see him on the road. Why? Because you have no idea what I've done in his heart. And you're going to be the instrument I use to make a Saul into a Paul, a murderer into a minister. You go greet him, Ananias, and trust me to do the rest. Who knows what might change as a result? I worked for an oil company for years. Uh, Excuse me, not years, months. It was an internship. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. I worked for an oil company and it felt like years. Um, And I remember there was this older guy there and uh, he um, would drive me to work sometimes because we live in the same neighborhood. And and I found out a couple months later because he was so low key about it, he would do a Bible study like, once a month in the boardroom and the CEO let him do it. And he invited, he would go around to people's offices, invite them, like real low pressure, like, hey, no pressure, but during the lunch hour on Friday, I do this little Bible study if you want to come. And there was one older lady that um, not only said no, she'd make fun of him. And I knew it because I found out about the Bible study in the regular lunchroom one day because she was like, well, this hero over here. And she just starts making fun of him in front of everybody, mocking the way he looks, mocking the way he talks, mocking his little adorable Bible study, mocking his stupid Bible and his stupid religion in front of everybody. I mean, she just laid waste to this guy. And I watched him just absorb it and would kind of smile and not say anything. And as a young man, I'm like, go to war, bro. You know, I was like so mad. Uh, But I didn't know what to do about it. And I just watched him just be gentle. And I watched him still go by her office. He never quit going by Hey, no pressure, a little Bible study. If you want to come, get out of here. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> and he just never stopped being him. And then she had a stroke or something. I, I don't remember all the details of it medically, but I know it robbed from her the ability to walk. And I remember she was gone for a long time. And then she showed up in a wheelchair and when she showed up, he was waiting for her at the elevator. I watched him do it. He waited for her and he wheeled her in and wheeled her to her desk. He had rearranged her office. He had gotten her set up. And I watched him over the next couple months just take care of her. Just, just look out for her. His enemy. He just loved her. And you know what I happened to her? That hard heart became so soft. She became a grandma. She became tender. I'd watch her pat his hand. I watched her heart open up, not just to love for him, but to love for us and to love for God. I watched an enemy become a friend. Why? Because someone stood at the elevator and kept saying hello. Is there someone you just need to say hi to? Some family member you just need to write a letter to? Not dig up all the past, but just say, hey, Merry Christmas. Somebody you need to extend towards with kindness. You may not solve everything, but you may solve something. And I want to encourage you as we close, don't underestimate the power of small actions. Some of you may hear this and you go, okay, you want us to walk out of here and pray for our enemy every day and then greet people. Greet a stranger on the street. Greet an enemy. Just say hi to people. You'll get rejected. Do it anyway. Your standard of behavior is your king, not the culture. Do it anyway. You go, is that really going to make a difference? Well, let me tell you something. Small changes in diet will change your lifestyle. Small steps can lead a way up a mountain, right? Small seeds. I remember my little sparrow bought a little package of sunflower seeds, a little bitty bag like this. She threw them out in our backyard and it created an ocean of sunflowers. Kind of startling, right? 
And you're like, wow, something so small did something so big. That's possible. I look at this room and I'm so glad everybody in Atlanta can see this room too. Because when we launched out here, there was five of us, Donna and I and three kids. And Mike D came on, a couple staff people. A couple of people from Atlanta heard the call from God and moved here and found jobs. But I remember when we first met, it was maybe, maybe 30 people in my living room. That's how we started a year ago. And then we asked a couple friends to help us put on a party and more people came. And then we started doing them weekly and more of you came. And people would come up to us and say, this is so different because DC is a cold, hard, cruel place. But y'all are nice to people. You're kind even when you don't know me. And that kindness was attractive. And I've watched it change some of you. And I watched a room of 30 become 50, 50 become 200. Now we're knocking at the door of over 800 people, closing in on 1,000 before year one in this room. How crazy is that? What difference will my little life make? Hey, your little greeting at the door might change the trajectory of somebody. Nine months in, we're blowing up in this place. Why? Because small act of kindness can do great things. We decided to try to help our kids get off screens. And so we've introduced puzzles into our life. I wasn't a big puzzle guy growing up, but I've become a puzzle guy now. We did the little 50 piece puzzles with them for a while, but those only last like five minutes and we needed to entertain the kids for longer. So we bumped it up to a thousand pieces, which the box cautions that for children my age. The box tells you on the side, they're not ready. And I told the box, I don't care. And so we've done two so far. And both of them were 999 pieces because each time one piece was missing. I don't know if I can communicate to you how frustrating that is. <laughs> Even now, I just got to pray. So we entered our third puzzle, one about superheroes. We finished it last night, except for one piece. And I thought, no, this cannot be. No, not again. 999 is unacceptable. So I started throwing pillows, started lifting furniture, started turning over tables. And then we had this chair that really doesn't have cushions that move. But I thrust my hand deep into that chair, sort of injuring myself in the process because I had to get into the mechanics of the chair. And when I did, I found Dr. Strange's little face. <laughs> And when I saw his distressed and disturbed look, I thought about you. Because some of you go, what difference is it gonna make if I say hi to people on the Metro tomorrow? What difference is it gonna make if I bring a little kindness into my office? What difference is it gonna make if I'm slow to anger in my home? God's not asking you to change the whole world. But Jesus is putting together a picture of thousands. He's just asking you to be your peace doesn't satisfy him when a piece goes missing and says, no, I'm just going to tuck into my couch. No, you're meant to be a part of a bigger picture with us. Don't miss your place. Don't be the missing piece because he brought peace to you and he wants to bring peace through you and he will do it. 
He'll use little people like me and like you to change the world. Not all by yourself, but when you're fit together with us, a wave starts thawing frozen hearts, liberating captives, changing cities. That's what he's called us to. Don't miss that. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be uplifting to others, then be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.